Today's episode is a highlight in itself. Today's coffee connection is Maxine Troglauer, DAD Music Scholarship recipient, bass trombonist, and master's student at the Manhattan School of Music. My name is Hani Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. In our conversation, Maxine shared how she became first interested in a trombone. We talked about her experience as a musician, the history of the trombone, and different career opportunities. We also talked about being a woman in a male-dominated space, trends in classical music, and how the current pandemic affects musicians. Have a listen. My name is Maxine Troglauer. I'm a bass trombonist and I currently live in New York City studying in, at Manhattan School of Music. And I'm here since last August and I have one more year to go in my master's program. And what did we hear just now? So that was the first couple of seconds from a piece by the composer Daniel Schneider. The piece is called Duo Concertante and I arranged it with my duo partner in 2018 for a vibraphone and bass trombone. And it's originally for a tenor trombone and bass trombone, but it works really well in this case, I think. So if we had this conversation at a German cafe, at a German coffee shop, what would you order? I have uh, fresh mint tea, so I'm not even having coffee at the moment. Well, it really depends on the time of the day, I guess. But I really love a good cappuccino with oat milk. Do you like sweets? Do you like German cakes? I like not only German cakes. <laughs> so what would you order if you, it's, so if you had the choice of, of different cakes? What would be your favorite? What would you order? Probably a cheesecake. Like a German style cheesecake or a New York style cheesecake? Grandma style cheesecake. Mm. That's the best. Yeah. So you are a DAD scholarship recipient for pursuing your master's in New York. And one of the reasons why we do this interview is because normally all scholarship recipients for the music scholarship would have a concert at the Carnegie Hall in New York. And for obvious reasons, unfortunately, this time it did not work out because of the COVID-19 and the closures. So I'm really happy that I'm able to talk to you and show your music. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your where did you start? And for someone who's not familiar with the instrument can you describe what you're actually playing sure thank you for inviting me to this it's actually my first podcast interview that i do so it's new for me too so i play trombone since i'm six and i do not come from a musical family it's more or less coincidence i would say that i play an instrument and it basically started because my grandmas took me to the local music school where i come from and then, I mean, I often hear the question, why did I choose the trombone? 
I cannot really answer this question. It was mixture between different reasons. It was, I remember I was the only girl in the room, for example. I was the only one able to make a sound out of this instrument. And I just wanted to ask because it's fairly large. So when you were six years old, are there baby versions of that? <laughs> or or was it was it a different instrument at that point? I was fairly tall when I was six. <laughs> um, but there are smaller versions. And I definitely didn't start on bass trombone. I started on tenor trombone. So the trombone, which is funny when you start playing trombone, is that you can reach all of the positions on your slide. So a trombone has seven positions on the slide. But when I started playing trombone, I could hardly reach fifth position. And then when you grow up, you know, like your arm gets longer and at some point you reach seventh position. And I remember this was a big achievement <laughs> to finally reach seventh position. How old were you when you finally did? Oh, maybe eight. Also, I've always played tenor trombones with a valve trigger. There's a distinction between different kinds of trombones. So there's the jazz trombone, which doesn't have a trigger. Then there's the tenor trombone, which has one trigger. And then there's the bass trombone, which has two. And what does that mean for someone who absolutely does not know anything about that? So when you don't have a trigger, you have to do all the positions. Like you have to play certain notes that are quite common out in sixth and seventh position, which is kind of a long way to go. And especially if you play fast or if you play lines, it's sometimes really annoying to move all the way, you know, on all seven positions. And if you have a trigger, you can avoid many of those positions that are far out. It just makes things easier. And for the bass trombone, it's actually a quite technical thing. There's a bass trombone is able to play all chromatic steps when you go low. And the tenor trombone, because of the length of the actual instrument, is not able to do that, really. You can kind of fake it, but technically it's not working. And so that's why the bass trombone was invented to cover all the range. And also it has just the measurements are bigger, so the bore and etc. So you have this more mellow, bigger, rounder sound. While technically you can still play the same range as a tenor trombone, but it just sounds different. And it has a different function definitely in all music history. So you did share a 10-minute piece with me that we're not going to play fully, but there are different sections that highlight different techniques. So I'm looking forward to playing that. But before we do, I'd like you to, first of all, introduce the piece and then also talk a little bit about the techniques and the different sounds that we hear. It's a piece written by Jonas Schönfilbert. He's a, actually, he's a jazz saxophone teacher in my former school in Hanover. And we got pretty close through playing in the big band. So he was, he was conducting the big band and I was playing in the big band. And because I had this duo with a, a percussion player in 2018 and 2019, I had the problem of not having really enough repertoire. And so I just, I was talking to him about this and I was kind of con complaining that I didn't know what to play. And then I just, because I knew he was writing music as well and arranging, I asked him if he would be interested in writing as a piece. And he basically said, I have no idea how to write for bass trombone or for percussion, but yes, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then it was sort of a collaboration. So he sent us sketches, we tried it out. We basically told him in the beginning what kind of instruments we have 
anyway because of the other pieces that we're playing and so based on that he decided what he wants to have so in the end it's pretty big the whole setup it's a marimba it's a vibraphone it's three different toms so large drums and then some small percussion things that i don't have to list now and basically his his structure of writing the piece is based on different pitch rows and basically what what the good thing is about having a piece written for you especially is that the composer can really focus on the characteristics of the instrument so for example he has a part where i play with a bucket mute and pretty low and it's just the perfect range for the bass trombone and it shows really well what's different for example to the tenor trombone and sometimes when you just play a piece adapted for trombone for example it, it's not really it doesn't sound that good on a bass trombone throughout the piece he changes the different characteristics of a marimba and a vibraphone so i'm not so sure if we hear it in one of the parts but he also plays the vibraphone with a bow which has this eerie really nice sound and then the beginning is really special because he was trying to create an echo effect. And I think he did quite well. It's basically, for me, it's just air sound and slap tongue technique. Can you describe that a little bit more, what that actually means? <laughs> yeah, it's basically you send air through your trombone pretty fast and then stop it abruptly with your tongue. And then it, well, we will hear it in a second, but it creates this kind of pop sound. And within a certain range, you can even play different pitches on the slap tongue technique. It's, um, it's hard to hear the distinction between the pitches, but there are actually different pitches in the slap tongue part in that beginning. And he uses wood blocks uh, for the percussion to create the echo effect. And so this echo idea is then developed further into actual playing and yeah, later on. He goes somewhere else. That's the kind of idea and the, the start of the piece. Thank you. 
it was your own drive and your own interests that led you to the instrument. I imagine to be where you're now, you had to practice quite a lot. So was that always you really wanting to play or did your parents then push you into practicing more and playing more? No, my parents never pushed me. I had a really strong teacher, I would say. And he made me do all these. So in Germany, there are all these Jugendmusiziert competitions, which start at like, I think you can do your first one when you're 11. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you get in diff into different age categories and you can proceed to different levels of competition. And he was very ambitious. My internal ambitious character, I don't know. And the good teacher that always provided goals. So like every year there was a competition. So you really clearly had something to work for. And then I have a really classical education. My teacher played in the orchestra in Wiesbaden, so the town where I come from. And then I started playing in orchestras when I was 14 or 15. And then you start spending all your vacations in those orchestras and you kind of have this thing that you always go back to and you know what's happening next summer. And then it just kind of keeps you going. And I assume all the people that you know and your friends are probably also, most of them at least, are in this world as well, right? Actually, not at all. I also really separated school from music. So I wasn't doing any sort of music in my actual school which some of my musicians' friends now find kind of funny or weird, but all of my close friends weren't musicians. But that was fine for me, actually. That worked really well because I had two different sides. And all of the people from the orchestra, for example, they just come from all over Germany. So we would only see each other during vacation. Or mm -hmm. <laughs> you can hardly call it vacation, but during the weeks when we are in the orchestra. By now, I have mostly musicians' friends, but that's since I'm studying, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you did mention at the very beginning that when you first were introduced to the instrument, that there were mostly men in the room. And I did look at some of your online presence, and I saw a picture where there were five men, and then you as the only female. Yeah, that's a good point. I cannot really say for what reasons, because I don't believe in that there's female or male instruments. Many parents who bring their kids to music schools, they kind of, you know, see their girl playing violin or piano and the boy maybe trumpet or saxophone. But I totally believe that this kind of thought is old school. I mean, I played trombone since I'm six, so it's most of my life so far, but I actually realized not too long ago that I never really had a role model or idol. And that's kind of hard because there's no woman really in the trombone world. I mean, bass trombone world, I don't know any woman that I could take as my idol. Now I know some other women, but they're not much older than me if they are professional. Well, you have to just path the way for the next generation yeah. and you're the role model. I hope, yeah, I hope to do so. I was... Probably always really lucky. I didn't hear really any, I don't know, sexual assaults or anything in the musical world. I heard some stupid comments, definitely. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a thick skin in this world to not react too much on those comments or not feel smaller. And by now, 
it's gotten much better. And actually here in New York, when I played with new people or when I had a gig in a big band, for example, and it was only men, it was very nice. I didn't know anyone in the beginning, obviously. And when you come for the first time to a gig, sometimes you get some funny faces because you take out your instrument and it happens to be like one of the biggest of the whole band. But then everyone is super nice and comes to you and just introduces himself. So here it's really open-minded. I think in Germany it really depends on the place, but sometimes we have still a long way to go. And and I assume at the end of the day, it really, if you can play, then that that's really what matters. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. For example, in Germany, orchestras are trying to, to get rid of this male-female thing through blind auditions. Mm-hmm. So they have a, a, it's called curtain, but it's mostly like a wooden thing that, so the orchestras who sits in the audience and judges the people who are auditioning for that position, which is open, they can't see the person in the first round, at least, to not be judgmental about the gender. And probably also the age, right? All visual factors. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. If you see a person, you just get distracted by the appearance. But I've heard about many times where they also, you know, get rid of this thing because they say, for example, for brass instruments, like the sound get worse. So we don't do it blind. And then I think, well, but if the sound gets worse, it gets worse for everyone. For me, it, it would be more important that the audition is actually blind than the most perfect sound, which is anyway not the case. It's still a process. Mm-hmm. You got your BA from Germany, from a university. And you started in Berlin, but then went to Hanover, right? To finish your bachelor's and now you're in New York. As a musician, do you have to go to university to, to pursue a degree to, to then be able to work? What specifically do you learn at the university when you pursue a degree in your field? I'm not 100% sure if you necessarily need a degree. I think if you want to have an, a position in the orchestra, yes. Because, I mean, the whole process of getting an orchestra job starts with the application and you have to, like, you can only apply if you have a certain degree. In some positions, you even have to have a master's degree, I think. So I have a lot of friends in the jazz world too. And I mean, those who want to become somebody in the music world, they are all studying, even in a field like jazz, where it's about improvised music and character and your own voice that you have to develop and that you can't really learn from anyone else but it's just that the whole music education has become really academic too and sometimes that's a big problem because it gets really about grading and how are you going to grade people on when it comes to like individual creative playing how's that possible but it's there are many attempts all over the world to kind of find a way I guess you're more graded on technique and if it's flawless. I hope not, honestly, because that would be really boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, perfect playing is perfect. It might be flawless, but also can be really... um, So what are you graded on then? Well, I don't really know. because they, (laughs) They don't really tell us. I think it really depends on where you are in your studies. So in the first years or first... First two years, let's say, of your bachelor, it's probably about technique. They check on you if you develop in a certain way on your instrument. But later on, especially in your master's, it's more about what do you as a person bring to the table? How do you interpret something? 
when when it comes to masters you have been already playing for quite a while so you should be able to play in tune and to play in time and to play fast or whatever so what is the next step of becoming a successful musician it's about having something that other people don't have that makes you unique you have a degree from a german university and now you're pursuing a masters in new york what are the differences and similarities of teaching and learning in germany versus the united states there are many differences some biggest difference is in America, it's much more academic. So it's more about you being in school, being in a classroom and having classes versus in Germany, it's you being in a practice room practicing. I think this difference is also mainly because you pay so much more here. So they kind of have to provide you with classes and with academic content, I'd say. And in Germany, I mean, there are no not high costs for music education uh, or for universities and it's not that strict but the approach like you get music theory you get ear training classes you got music history classes you got your main teacher you got piano classes all kind of the subjects are kind of the same you're in your first year of pursuing a master's with the support of the DAD scholarship and so you do have another year I assume as a musician, there's a lot up in the air and I assume a lot of it is also gig work and you have to really play a lot and meet a lot of people, do a lot of networking. How does the current pandemic and the closures of venues, how has that impacted the, the music world and for you specifically? Yeah, it's a huge impact. So in New York, I talk about New York and like the general situation maybe first and then come to my situation. In New York, everything is closed. All over the world, everything is closed. But in New York, even Broadway is closed. And I think I'm not 100% sure if there's a reopening date by now. And a friend told me that even during the Second World War, for example, Broadway still remained open. So it's, and it's a huge venue, like it's, it's just a huge market and so many musicians, artists are involved in not only Broadway, the whole music scene here. And I know a lot of people who are really badly financially affected because they are only freelance workers and there are no concerts, there are I guess there are no full-time health insurance, nine-to-five jobs for musicians to begin with. No, I mean, unless you have a teaching job somewhere, it's just basically you earn money, money for what you do, but otherwise there is, there is no income. There are all these creative attempts to do online teaching or online recordings or whatever, so people are really trying to come up with something. But I guess the problem is also over the past years where everything is available online and people expect that it's free. A lot of people don't want to pay for music that's online, for example. So I guess that's another issue you're facing as a musician. Definitely. I totally agree. And well, I have to admit, I also listen to things on Spotify. I don't always buy the album. I just hope that people will acknowledge the value of live music. So 
for me, actually, I also came to New York to be around the scene, to be able to go to five concerts a night and still miss 20 others. So to, to have this variety of concerts and venues and people to listen to, it's so great. And none of that is happening at the moment. And it really makes me sad. I was listening to live concerts on my computer which is kind of sad, but just to get the vibe of live music. And I just hope that not only musicians, but also like average people will come back to venues as they open again. But of course, I also understand that people who are in bad financial situations because of their jobs being canceled or whatever, they don't want to pay that much money for to go to a concert. Really yeah, that's kind of a luxury if you still have to pay your rent and food and you don't have enough to pay for that exactly and so we really especially in the u.s i guess we really have to find a solution for that because otherwise it's it's gonna go on really badly for a much longer time do you have a way to connect and collaborate virtually now that you can't see one another in person you mentioned that your boyfriend is also a musician so you get the two of you can play together, but are there any other ways? Also with your studies, how does it work for you now? How do you study if you're not able to meet in a room and play together? That was definitely the question we, all of us students had when the school said it's going to be online. And we had all to come up with a solution pretty fast. Virtual lessons and virtual collaborations, definitely not a substitute for playing with each other. Especially since, I mean, I know I, I'm not an expert, but even I notice there's maybe a second delay when you're on Zoom, for example. And this is, this is slightly annoying when you talk, but especially for a musician where everything has to perfectly line up it's impossible I mean, it's not, yeah it's not only that it's i mean so there are so many technical issues first of all not everyone has good recording devices mm -hmm. you cannot expect from students to suddenly buy microphones and interfaces and good computers for thousands of dollars or euros or whatever just to be able to have the best available sound then some people might be in in regions where there's not good wi-fi then I mean, a trombone, it's, it's pretty easy to record be, because you have like your bell and there's what where's the sound comes out of. But if you play clarinet, for example, or drums, it's much harder to actually record your sound. Well, plus I would also think for like certain, certain instruments, if you live in an apartment and you have neighbors, oh, totally, you're, yeah. you're probably also not going to be able to get away with practicing several hours a day if you don't have a soundproof room or apartment. Fortunately, there are laws in Germany and in the United States that allow you to practice at home. It doesn't feel comfortable. If you have a practice room, whether it's your own space or if it's in school, like you have this room that you can go to and just make noise. But if you're at home, you're always in your own four walls and it feels really strange. So you really have to get used to that. But at the same time, yeah, as I mentioned, like a lot of people come up with really creative stuff. So I study in the contemporary performance program at Manhattan School of Music, and it's a tiny program. We're just 16 people. So for example, during the last weeks, they've really come up with some creative content where they 
recorded different parts of various pieces and then put them together. There's uh, a friend of mine, he's a terrific bass clarinet player, but he also mixes music. Mm -hmm. He works a lot with Ableton and Logic. And so people just get into all this producing music software fields to be able to work on your own. The next piece we're going to hear is a African-American spiritual called Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. And it's actually an arrangement by my boyfriend, Paco Andreo, who's a French valve trombone player. And he had this idea for his master's recital a couple of weeks ago. And he wrote an arrangement for four tenor trombones, two euphoniums, bass trombone, and solo trombone. So improvised part. And yeah, in the end, it's just us two recording all of the parts. So I play trombone two and four and bass trombone, and he plays trombone one and three, two euphoniums, and the solo part. So this is definitely something that is not possible live. And it's a lot of work to adjust all the timing of the different parts and everything. So it's a lot of edit, but I think the arrangement is really, really well done and the recording sounds decent. It's a beautiful recording. And just to know, where did you record that? Was that in your apartment or did you go to a studio just so that we understand how this was recorded? No, <laughs> it would be nice to go to a studio for this, but we just did it in the bedroom. What we did is we put the mattress against the wall and put pillows <laughs> on the other side so we don't have to, you know, so the sound is not too boomy. And yeah, it was like every morning when we started recording, we would say, okay, let's, let's set up the studio now. Do you have pictures But of that? I do, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can show you. But in the end, it sounds like it was a nice room with some reverb or anything. But nowadays, you can do that really, really easily with any software. It definitely sounds beautiful. And we're now going to hear Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. <laughs> Thank you. 
The internet is full of those things at the moment. Everyone records some him or herself and puts it together in a mosaic video. And by now you get kind of tired of it. But it's a really good practice, honestly. Because if you have to listen to yourself so many times, it really teaches you a lot, honestly. You've traveled quite a bit with the Bundesorchester. That's what it's called. Orchestra. So it's the, how would you describe that in English? Like what, what kind of orchestra is that? And it's an official orchestra, German funded, German government funded orchestra. Is that, that, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So luckily we have in Germany, all those different state funded orchestras and ensembles. So it starts with the state's orchestra. So in each state, They have a symphony orchestra plus a big band. And so I started playing in the State Symphony Orchestra of Hessen, where Wiesbaden is. And then I went to the Bundesjugendorchester, which is, I think the official name in English is National Youth Orchestra of Germany. <laughs> And we're kind of the ambassadors of young classical orchestra music, you could call it that way. They do a lot of really amazing travels. So I was in that orchestra for two years. And during that time, we went to China. We went to Tunisia. We went to Austria, a couple of European countries. You travel all over Germany. And yeah, you spend a lot of time with those people. Do you actually also get to experience the host country? Or is it really just the concert hall, hotels, airports, buses? Yeah, it really depends on where you are. But for example, China, we were there for, I, I believe, 10 or 12 days. And we had six concerts in five different cities. A concert tour is not made like the smartest way. You don't travel the closest to the next city. It's it's like city hopping. So 
And especially if you travel in a, in a size of an orchestra. So we were in China, we were 120 people. How do you coordinate that? Well, ask the coordinators. I don't know. <laughs> I was just a member. And, uh, I mean, especially if you, I think I was under 18 and we had some other people that were even younger and some that were over 18, but like, I think average age was maybe between 17 and 19, I believe. So the coordinators really have a lot of responsibility and it's just a lot of work. I mean, they start planning those tours years in advance. I'm actually super interested in that kind of field because we as the performers don't necessarily know a lot about what's going on behind the scenes. Like when it comes to financing a tour or a concert, organizing the whole thing, it's really interesting. And jazz musicians, for example, who have to take care of their own gigs and their own programs, they're much more trained in this because they just have to do it right from the beginning. Otherwise, nothing's happening. But when you come from the classical background like me, then you're kind of used to being called. And it's really something, I guess it's really hard to teach in an in a academic environment too. So that's why there's some schools are trying to provide some sort of classes. It's, you just have to do it. There's quite a difference between playing with 150 or so people uh, versus you by yourself or maybe with one other person. That's quite a different experience. What do you prefer? I prefer the latter by now, but it's something that has developed for me because, like I said, I used to play more or less only orchestra or large, large ensembles. And it's just, as a bass trombone, you're just very little in action <laughs> well you almost disappear you're you're yeah, just you're part just, of a big puzzle and it's really nice to be to, to be if it's a good orchestra it's beautiful to be part of that sound machine but also it's not so much about you it's more about your position and by at a certain point i was kind of getting tired of that so by now i realized for me that I don't want to pursue a career in classical orchestra music. And that's why I study in this program also, um, because it focuses more on not necessarily any solo works, but just exploring more what's possible with other people in a new way, new setting, new chamber music groups. Because with bass trombone, yeah, you might have a disadvantage because there are not a lot of pieces actually written. But I'm trying that this doesn't stop me mm -hmm. from playing as much as other instruments are doing. So for someone who is just the consumer of music, how can we support musicians like you? Going to concerts as soon as they open up again, especially not being afraid of programs that you've never heard of especially in the contemporary classical scene, there's so much good stuff being written at the moment, but there's a lot of audience that is just afraid of new stuff. Germany is such a blessed country still with, I think there's still around 160 professional orchestras. And if you look at their schedule, what they're playing, it's still like the big five composers like Beethoven, it's only classical people. It's no women. It's so limited. And I totally get the financial point of getting audience into the 
calls to just keep the thing going, of course. And yes, most likely you can do that with the stuff that people know, but why not combining things and programs, but in a smart way, not like it is right now. It's like, it's, you know, since the, since the classical period, the structure of a orchestra concert didn't change. It's like, there's a solo piece for a soloist. Then there's a symphony. It's like, it's super strict when to applaud, like in between movements of a symphony, you're not allowed to applaud. And I'm following those rules because that's the way I was raised. But if you listen to a Mahler symphony and the first movement blows you away, why are you not allowed to applaud? Mm. It's like, I think we should really, and the audience is part of that, we should really rethink some structures because they're just incredibly old and we follow them for no obvious reasons. And we could make the concert experience itself much more alive and therefore more attractive to younger people. So the last piece we're going to hear is a solo piece for bass trombone written by Daniel Schneider. And he's a Swiss composer who lives in New York already since the mid 90s. And he made a really huge effort for the bass trombonists in this world because he is a really close friend to my professor, David Taylor. And they together created, I don't even know how many pieces for bass trombone, but they're really different from the rest of the repertoire. They're really virtuosic and fast and, you know, stuff that you would not necessarily think a bass trombone could play in the first part, but it works really well. And he knows really well how to write for the bass trombone. And I am so lucky to work with him a lot in New York City and... So this piece is one of a collection of three little pieces that he wrote a couple of years ago. And this is a full recording of Tamuts. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
So at the moment, where would one find your music, can support you, find out more about you? So far, I haven't really published anything online of my stuff. I'm, I have to admit, I'm hypercritical. And <laughs> yeah, as you said, like when you listen to yourself and you hear all the spots and like you just, I just say, oh no, it's not good enough. And When you, when you do that for a couple of years, then basically you just have never anything which is good enough. But I'm currently working on some stuff and I hope to put it on my website soon, which is maximetroklauer.net. I have social media and I more or less regularly post something there. But besides that, if you come to New York, I might play something and then <laughs> you can experience my music. This was my coffee connection with Maxine Troglauer. You can find out more about Maxine and her music at maxinetroglauer.net. You can find that also in the show notes. Our content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at dad.org. Stay safe, healthy, and well. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.